Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you uh, for the hope that is ours. We thank you so much that we do have the hope of the promised land. But Lord, we also have a chance now to be in deep relationship with you, to be preparing for that day when we're with you for all eternity. So Lord, I pray that we might gain some insight today uh, in how to, to just spend some time of solitude with you throughout our day, throughout our weeks, to seize those moments that, that we might find uh, just to, to be in your presence, to be moved by your Spirit, to hear your Spirit's prompting. So come Holy Spirit now. Inspire the reading of your Holy Word. Uh, inspire the proclamation of your Holy Word. And inspire the application of your Holy Word in our lives. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to read... Uh, from Mark 1, I'm going to read verses 32 to 39. Uh, <clears throat> this is a story, as you'll see as we go along, uh, after Jesus has been uh, healing many people. And he's actually been at it uh, much of the night, uh, healing people. And we begin in verse 32. That evening, at sundown, they brought to him, to Jesus, all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed." And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. We've been looking at what I uh, referred to as non-traditional practices of faith, like household economics, and hospitality. But before we leave this uh, little mini-series on practices of faith, I want to look at one that's uh, pretty traditional, but we don't practice it very well in today's culture. And that's the discipline of silence and solitude. And from the start, some of you, especially uh, young mothers and, and fathers and people with, with children all around you are going to say, has that man lost his mind? I mean, I've got children at home. I can't even get silence and solitude when I go to the bathroom. Even if I lock the door, they're knocking on the door. Mom, Mom, I need you. I get it. Though I'm obviously not a mom, and I don't understand all that moms in particular deal with, I did help Jeanette raise our two daughters. I, I know that, that being a parent uh, makes you very, very busy. I know parenthood is exhausting. But I think that's all the more reason you need some times of silence and solitude. So please bear with me. I hope to make some suggestions that, that you might find helpful. Uh, they won't be easy, but if you're intentional, they might bless your loves. I'm deeply indebted to the work of Richard Foster and Donald Whitney uh, for the, their writings on silence and solitude. You can learn more about uh, 
these disciplines and Foster's celebration of discipline and Whitney's uh, spiritual disciplines for the Christian life. I've listed those in your outline. I have found Whitney's book in particular very insightful on silence and solitude. And so giving credit where credit's due, I'm going to be sharing uh, a number of things from his book today. First, what's the practice? What is the practice of silence and the practice of solitude? Well, Whitney defines the discipline of silence as voluntary and temporary abstention from speaking so that spiritual goals might be sought. Silence is observed that we might, uh, for example, read or write or, or pray and so forth. During the practice of silence, there's an internal dialogue going on between ourselves and God. Solitude, on the other hand, is the spiritual discipline of voluntarily and temporarily withdrawing to privacy for spiritual purposes. Very similar in definition. Solitude, like silence, can stand alone. It can be a time just to be alone with God, or it can be a time for a discipline like Bible reading and prayer. Obviously, silence and solitude usually go together, so we talk about them in pairs. So from here on out in, in most of the message, I'm just going to refer to the practice of solitude primarily. And please know that solitude is not superior to fellowship, nor is fellowship superior to solitude. They should be complementary. Whitney writes, without solitude, you and I are shallow. But without fellowship, you and I can become stagnant. Think about that. We need solitude so that we don't become shallow. We spend that time with God, but we also need fellowship so that we don't become stagnant. But as I've already hinted, in our Western culture, we're conditioned, we're far more comfortable with people and with noise than with silence and with solitude. But solitude was clearly practiced by Jesus. Each of the Gospels record at least one story of Jesus getting away from the crowds and the noise. Matthew's Gospel, Jesus had fed the 5,000, and Matthew 14, 23 records, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Mark's Gospel, Jesus had been healing people all night long. And verse 35 says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, a quiet place, and there he prayed. Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, again records that Jesus has healed many. And then verse 42, And when it was day, he departed and he went into a desolate place. John's Gospel, in its recording of the feeding of the 5,000, concludes chapter 6, verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And note the word again. It's clear that Jesus had withdrawn to that mountain numerous times. He was going there again. And i got to say that if you and I had been feeding 5,000 people, and healing many, some of us would have been tempted to stay there longer and to keep ministering in those places. There was great ministry going on, and we love, we like to be wanted. 
We, we love the sense of importance and we love the sense of power. But Jesus didn't give in to those temptations. He knew the importance of the discipline of being alone with God. He knew how much He had given in ministry and He knew that He needed to recharge. He knew that He needed to be revived. And if we want to be like Jesus, you and I are going to try to find some places of solitude in our lives. Why? Well, let me just share a few reasons. We need times of solitude to hear the voice of God better. Think of Elijah going to Mount Horeb where he heard the gentle whisper of God's voice. Or think about the Apostle Paul. He was converted, and, and if, if it had been us, we probably would have taken off and, and started ministry. Paul actually went to Arabia for a season, and he spent time alone with God. Obviously, we don't have to get away to hear the voice of God. Otherwise, we wouldn't hear God in our everyday uh, operations, in our everyday activities, or we wouldn't hear God here in worship. But sometimes, sometimes you and I need to get away from the distractions around us in order to hear the voice of God. And, and it doesn't have to be far away. It can be closing the bedroom door and getting inside a room at your house. It can be sitting down by the creek. It can be a stump in the woods. Uh, one of my favorite places used to be riding my bicycle on a quiet road or on a trail somewhere and just getting away and peaceful. Another reason we need solitude is so that we can worship God. Obviously, we worship here. We worship in many places where we use our voices. But sometimes worship needs to be a time when when we're just still, when we're silent, when we're in God's presence. Psalm 46.10, for example, says, Be still and know that I am God. Habakkuk 2.20, But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Zephaniah 1.7, Be silent before the Lord God. There are times to speak in worship, folks, but there's also times to be still and to know that God is God. To be still and to be in His presence and to adore Him in silence. Another reason for silence is for you and I to express our faith. In a world where we feel like we have to constantly be doing, in a world where you and I think that we're the ones in control, ceasing for a few moments and coming to God in silence can be a wonderful demonstration that we're trusting God, that we're trusting God. Our silence can demonstrate what David wrote in Psalm 62, for God alone my soul waits in silence, from him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. You see, silence and stillness can demonstrate that we truly believe God is our rock and our salvation, and our fortress. When, when we're still, we're, we're declaring that everything doesn't depend on me, that the world will keep spinning if I'm still for a minute, that the world will keep going, it won't spin off its axis if I just spin, sit for a little bit. And we're declaring, God, you're in control, not me. I'm going to be still before you. I'm going to trust in you. 
Another obvious reason for solitude is to be physically and emotionally and spiritually restored. You know, after Jesus sent the disciples out in pairs, he knew that they were completely exhausted. And so he said to them in Mark 6, 31, come away by yourselves to a desolate, quiet place and rest a while. Now, they didn't get to rest long. Unfortunately, the 5,000 were there and they had to pretty quickly take care of them. But the point is made, we need some solitude in our lives in order to be restored. Solitude can also be a great way to seek after the will of God. Uh, That's what Jesus did when he was uh, making his final decision on who was going to be the 12 apostles. In Luke 6, it says, In those days he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called the disciples, and he chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. I did something similar when I was discerning leaving my former denomination and my former church. I needed to discern which denomination to join. And while leaving the previous denomination was, well, pretty easy, (laughs) uh, leaving my former church was not. I I love those folks, and and they love me, and and my children were raised there. So I got away for a week uh, to Mepkin Abbey in Monk's Corner, South Carolina. And the monks there lived their days in silence, and, and so did I as I sought after the will of God. That week was just a wonderful time of spiritual restoration, and it was a real turning point. It was a, a, a real um, milepost in my life as I sought after and heard the will of God. That was when God began to call me, and I filled out my application, and wasn't long until I was interviewing with uh, this uh, pulpit committee. You know, we just need sometimes a solitude, sometimes to, to really seek after the will of God. What, what does God want us to do? And sometimes we can't hear God's will for all the noise around us. There are additional reasons for solitude, but I hope those are sufficient to, to just remind you this morning, we need those moments. But how in the world can we do it? How can busy people like us find solitude? Well, first of all, it's not easy. And that's why it's called a discipline. It's not easy. But there are ways we can do it. And while overnight retreats and weekend retreats and places like Mepkin Abbey are wonderful, and I'd recommend that everyone do something like that at least once in their lives, realistically, it's not easy for most of us to get away for a weekend or a week. So I want to make some suggestions about ways we can perhaps fit some solitude into our daily living. Donald Whitney and Richard Foster and many others talk about what what they call uh, minute retreats or mini retreats or little solitudes. And, And what they're talking about there is we practice grabbing or snatching a few quiet moments throughout our day where we can be still and be present with God. Maybe for you, those moments are just those moments in bed in the morning before everybody else in the house wakes up. Maybe for you, it's the solitude of a morning cup of coffee uh, before you go out to work and you just spend that time in God's presence. If your family normally prays before meals, and I hope you do, maybe one thing you could do is just to start suggesting 
one night a week, we're just going to be silent for a few minutes, and then we'll thank God for the meal. Maybe it's slipping outside for just a quick moment before you go to bed uh, in the evening. Maybe it's turning off the radio uh, in the car and just being silent uh, for, you know, the span of maybe just one song. Maybe for many of us, it's turning off our cell phones for a little bit and just putting those things away and, and getting them away from us so that we can be silent. And it's not just being silent to catch our breath. It's being silent to be in the presence of God. It's, it's being silent to listen for the Holy Spirit's prompting. And then if we really want to practice this discipline, you and I are going to have daily times of getting alone with God. We're going to keep working toward a time of daily reading of the Bible and prayer and private worship. And I know it's not easy in our busy lives. And it's not easy because the enemy doesn't want us to have those quiet times. He knows exactly what he's doing. He loves to keep us distracted because our enemy knows how God will mightily use those daily solitudes. Missionary Jim Elliott understood this and he wrote, I think the devil has made it his business to monopolize on three elements, noise, hurry, and crowds. Satan is quite aware of the power of silence. Look, the, the struggle for daily devotional lives, folks, is real. It's been a struggle for me all my Christian life. Sometimes I do really well at it. Other times I don't do so well. Well, here's what I want to urge you to do. Don't beat yourselves up when you're not doing so well. It's like riding a bicycle. You got to get back on. It's like riding a horse. You got to get back on the horse. You got to keep trying. Stay in the discipline of daily devotional lives. Keep seeking after times of Bible reading and prayer. When you miss a week, when you miss days, I know what happens. The guilt trip sets in. We need to let that go and just get back in the Word. Get back in prayer. Little by little, spend those times with the Lord. Another suggestion I would make this morning that's practical is to find some special places for solitude. Maybe it's a room. Maybe it's a corner somewhere in a room. Maybe, again, it's that favorite spot down by the creek. For me, uh, sitting on a bell of hay in my granddad's barn was always a special place for me just to get away from, from everything. Except for the time I sat down and the hornets got in my shirt, but that's another story uh, altogether. Uh, there's been times when I've taken my kayak out to a pond, and I've taken my fishing rod with me, but I never even got it out of the, the rod holder. I just sat in the middle of the pond and listened and prayed. I love the, uh, you guys seen the uh, York peppermint patty uh, commercial where the big York peppermint patty's sitting on the, on the sofa, and the little girl's knocking on it, going, Mom, Mom, I lost my stuffed animal. And Dad says, Honey, sweetheart, mom's in York mode. And then it, it breaks to mom sitting in the clouds, you know, eating her York peppermint patty. And then suddenly she breaks out of the huge peppermint patty with the, with the stuffed animal and she says, mama's back. Busy moms, maybe you need to train your children to understand when mama's in Jesus mode. 
When mama's in Jesus mode. Susanna Wesley, the mom of, of John and Charles Wesley, founder of Methodism, had a very large family, and, and times of isolation were nearly impossible for her. So it's said that when she needed solitude, you know what she'd do? She'd pull her apron up over her head, and she would stay underneath it, and she would pray, and she would read her Bible underneath that apron. And the kids knew, leave mama alone when the apron's up. And the bigger kids would take care of the little kids. You, you see, the place doesn't have to be ideal. And it's going to change with the season of our lives. But find a way to, to make some places in your daily living to be alone with God. And one final suggestion that Don Whitney makes, and I, I want to share this one especially for busy parents. I would urge you to trade off responsibilities. Maybe one spouse could take the kids to the playground while the other just has a half hour or so of silence and solitude. And then the next day, switch. Or maybe if it doesn't work so well with your, your spouse, a group of mothers might swap off just to have some moments to be alone with God. It's hard to be a parent. You guys, parents and grandparents, you work hard raising your children. I, I get it. And, and I admire what you continue to do. But you need some time to be energized. And I just urge you to, I know it's hard. I, I know you, you, sometimes you feel like I'm giving you another task to do, and, and that's not what I'm after. But find some ways to share responsibilities and to grow and to get stronger. Well, those are just a few ideas. I believe in the culture of this day, we need the practice of solitude more than ever. And the practice has never been easy. But it is possible if you and I are intentional. I want to ask you, how are you and I going to respond to Jesus' bidding? How will we respond to Jesus calling out to each of us, come away by yourselves to a quiet place and rest a while? Jesus is bidding each of you, come away by yourselves to a quiet place and rest a while with me. Let's pray together. Lord, grant us the discipline of being quiet, quiet and seeking after you. Just help us to seize moments throughout our day to be in your presence. Give us the discipline to set aside those daily times with you. I pray we'll find spaces. I pray we'll find times where we can begin to hear you better, where we can worship you, times when we can be restored, times when we can seek after your will. Lord, these are good people seeking to walk with you, and, and we're far from perfect Christians. We all know that. But these are people trying to, to work and, and raise a family and take care of children and grandchildren and all their responsibilities. And they're trying to do that in accord with your will. And they need your energy. They need your strength. So God, would you call them away for some times alone with you? And Lord, if, if any of us here are arrogant enough today to think we don't need such moments will remind us that if Jesus needed them, if the Son of God needed them, 
then we adopted children need those times as well. So this very week, Lord, even this very day, draw us away for some times of silence and solitude with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace today and forevermore. Amen.